Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, day. Thank you for the privilege to study Ephesians chapter 1 and the beautiful passage we have before us to this morning. I pray that you may help us to uh, really engage with the text, uh, learn what it means for ourselves, and that we may also speak and uh, encourage one another with our spiritual gifts. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are going to be meditating on Ephesians chapter 1, and we will start in verse 7 until verse uh, 10. So please turn there in your Bible. So let's read verse 7. It refers to Christ in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to tell you the title or the theme and the route. We are going to discover it together. And uh, so um, first we will see the first two verses, which are verses 7 and 8. And I'm going to put you to work. So what is the, the theme or, or the themes that you find in Ephesians 1? seven and eight take take a, a few moments to just read the two verses and think about what what is the theme what's that I don't know what the, theme is. the theme is the big idea what's the big idea Anyone? Yes? Redemption. Redemption. Excellent. So, what is redemption? To be redeemed, to be bought out of something, to be saved, to right. be repossessed in a way. Yes. So, what does that first imply? That uh, once we were lost, dead. Right. So everyone is following. The text is saying we have been redeemed, which means we have been liberated, saved, delivered from something. And then that means that at some point we were in need of deliverance. Right. So we were lost. How so? There is blood. There is blood. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's right. Um, that's how we are redeemed, through the blood of Jesus, by Him dying on the cross. But how were we lost to begin with? Can we elaborate on that? No. Huh? No. <laughs> well, it uses the word forgiveness and trespasses, so sin, wages of sin is death. Right. Uh, distanced from God and our rebellion. Right. So we have been redeemed 
as the text continues to say, from our sins, and therefore we were full of sin. Now, uh, pay attention because the whole text is going to be fascinating, as this is the first section. The second section is very similar in different ways, and it gives a full picture that's absolutely beautiful. So we were full of sin, in need of redemption. So let's, um, let me give you a quick example of an Old Testament use of uh, redemption. So in the book of uh, Numbers, chapters three, chapter 3, there is the record of the redemption of the firstborns of the Levites. And so the way the passage explains it is that when the Jews were in, e in Egypt, you remember what were they in Egypt? They were slaves. And um, what was the tenth plague that God sent upon Egypt and Pharaoh to punish them for refusing to let his people go? To kill the firstborn. To kill the firstborn. And so when uh, Israel is redeemed, they are taken out of slavery. Then in chapter 3, God is saying in Numbers, count the firstborns because they need to be redeemed because now they are mine because I saved them. And uh, long story short about the details, but he eventually says, I'm going to actually turn to the Levites and they're going to be dedicated to me for the temple. And he says, okay, count the firstborn of the Levites. And it turns out that between the children of Israel, the firstborns, and then the, uh, the Levites, there are 22,000 on one side and 22,273 on the other side. And so it's one for one up to the point where you have 273 added. And the text says that God is giving them a price for the redemption. And so it says that they are to be redeemed with a particular amount of money. It says, for example, in verse 47, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And then there's the total sum. And that's how those 273 were redeemed. They were redeemed with money. So we just discussed in Ephesians 1.7 that we are redeemed from our trespasses. So can you pay money to satisfy God's justice to be redeemed? No. Why not? So in the Old Testament there were sacrifices, there were pictures of the new and greater and complete sufficient sacrifice that we have in Jesus. Why were animal sacrifices not enough? Because those animals, their blood didn't cover, their blood couldn't atone for every sin. So if you sinned, you had to sacrifice an animal. It had to be done on an annual basis. Um, it's true that they had to repeat it, so that showed that it was definitely not sufficient. But actually, in the book of Hebrews, it says it did not cover for any sin in and of itself. And the reason is, what is the justice of God that's demanded upon the one who is enslaved? So we are in need of deliverance. We are sinners. And the Bible says, and we will see that a little bit later, we are slaves of sin. And so what is the punishment? What is the law? What is the justice for someone who is a sinner? Death. Death. 
the death of whom? The sinner. So, if I kill an animal, why is that not enough? That's right, and because I'm worth a lot more than a goat. And so are you, right? Now you talk about an inanimate piece of silver. How is that supposed to make the value of a human life? It's impossible. And so then, <clears throat> the Bible says that blood was needed, and not any blood, human blood. So then we turn to the New Testament reality of redemption in Christ. And so if someone wants to read for us 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. So please everyone turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 until 21. It starts by saying, knowing that you were redeemed or ransomed. Knowing that you were redeemed knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made man manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Thank you. So you see, in Ephesians 1.7, we saw, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all trespasses of sins. So here it says, it's not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So why is Jesus able to die, not just for one person, but for all who believe, for the church? Okay, so uh, the term firstborn in the Bible means the preeminent one. He's not firstborn uh, chronologically. He's firstborn like the one who is the heir. That is, he's the first in rank. So, okay, he's the first in rank, and then he's perfect. But still, why, you know, one for one in the case of the Israelite, and then the extra you pay for money, why not one for one? He saves just Pastor Grady, and that's it. Then it's gone, just one life for one life. Because as also fully God, he is infinite in righteousness. Yes, and, and think about this, the value, the value. I'm valued more than a sheep because I'm a human being in the image of God. Now Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. His value is infinite. And therefore he can redeem through his blood anyone who would trust in him. He is the precious son of God. So we are redeemed through the, not with anything you can buy, which is why, by the way, when Simon the sorcerer saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the hands of the apostles and he offered them money, money, then the apostles said, may your money or your silver perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with your money. Right, and then we, we, we better remember this when, when people share, uh, when we share the gospel and someone says, you know, well, I'm trying to be a good person. So did Jesus die for no reason? Was it pointless? Why did he die? Why did he come? Because there is no other way. So let's look at the text again, verse 7. 
And uh, so I just alluded to the answer, but yes. Can I, sorry, can I yes. just add one other thing there? Which is that we, we are supposed to be good people in response to what Jesus has done for us. But if our effort is in any way to try and repay God for what Christ has done for us, we actually insult Jesus and diminish his value, as if his infinite worth as the preeminent son of God was not sufficient. Amen. That distinction is kind of important. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Okay, so let's read uh, then um, Hebrews 9, another passage I'd like for us to consider as it will uh, wrap up on this idea that you need the blood, not any blood, the blood of a human, and only one can cover for a multitude of humans, and that's Christ. So in Hebrews 9, 11, but when Christ appeared, so it's, it's about Christ, and here he's comparing with the Old Testament uh, animal sacrifices. As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now mark this. Because it doesn't say in Ephesians, it doesn't say, you may have, perhaps, if you're good enough, if you keep up, if you keep believing, if you make it till the end, you have redemption. What kind of redemption? Eternal redemption. It's right there. And eternal means it's never going to stop. You will never perish. John 10. For if the blood, and goats, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living god and then verse 22 indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins so in the Old Testament, the people who made the sacrifices and, and trusted that God in His grace would forgive them, they were forgiven because the blood of Christ was actually going to cover for all their sins. But they just used the picture at the time. But uh, it was again all pointing to the, to the greatest sacrifice. Um, so redemption is a present and a future reality. We, uh, we saw we have redemption in Ephesians 1 7 and then in verse 14 of Ephesians 1 if you uh, would go back there it talks about the fact that we have received the Holy Spirit and then it says he's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory and so I, I want to talk about the fact that uh, briefly the Holy Spirit who comes inside of every single Christian, he is like the down payment you pay when you are going to buy a property and you don't pay the full price right uh, on the spot. So the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he makes a tremendous difference. He regenerates us, but uh, we will see later in chapter four, Ephesians 4:30, and that's the future piece. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you were sealed until the day of redemption. So there is the, the down payment, we have the earnest of the Holy Spirit, but when 
when it's the time to be glorified, raised, and go to heaven, then we will have full redemption. Uh, in Colossians 1, the parallel passage or the parallel epistle with the Ephesians, it says, the Father, I guess let's turn all there. It's a very important verse, this one. Ephesians 1.13, and we'll read 14 as well. Looking at the present reality of redemption again here. Did you mean Colossians 1? Colossians 1, sorry. What is it, 14 and 15? Um, 13, he has delivered us. So the Father has delivered us. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us, so that's the Father, God the Father, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So... Yes, I have the, the context on the slavery piece later, so we'll turn there. But right now, what I want to emphasize is that we have a present reality on the um, truth of redemption, and that's this transfer where we're taken out of this um, uh, darkness, where we need to be redeemed, we need to be delivered, and but that's because we're slaves, and we have the forgiveness of our sins already. And yet, Romans 8.23, we see the future piece again. It says, we are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies when the consummation of history comes. So we still have this idea that we are saved, but there is, there is more to come. We have the redemption of our body that is coming. Right now, our body is still... Um, touched by sin and mortal but then we will be completely redeemed so according to Ephesians uh, 1 7 what is the way of redemption <coughs> according to Ephesians 1 7 what is the way of redemption we are looking for a key phrases, key terms in the passage to see, well, can we be redeemed in other ways? Through blood. Through the blood of, of whom? Right. Yes, it says, in him we have redemption. So can we have redemption in any other person than Jesus Christ? I see no, no. And yes, that's actually the correct answer. So if we look at the whole passage in Ephesians, um, Verses 3 through 14, it's just one long Greek sentence. So he's just talking in the same breath and he captures all the heavenly blessings we have one upon another. And every time he says, in him, look at verse 3, in Christ. And in verse 4, even as he chose us in him, through Christ, verse 5, in the beloved, verse 6 and 7, in him. So if you are not in Christ, you have nothing. You have no redemption. You have no hope. You are without God and without hope in the world. But if you are in Him, you have everything. And that's just in Jesus Christ. Who wants to read for us Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Acts 4, verse 12. 
I got it. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thank you. So there is salvation in no one else. It's just in Him. And that's wonderful. There is a way. God provided a way. He gave one way, a sufficient way for everyone. So we must go everywhere and proclaim that He's Lord. Because by hearing the word of Christ, people will be saved through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Can I throw a question in here? This may not be something you want to go into, which if not, that's okay. But do you, do you think that ultimately that's what people will be condemned for? What I mean by that is, you know, to lie to your mom, let's say, is a sin, right? That, that is sufficient to bear, to bring God's judgment and condemnation upon you. But God gave his son for your redemption and you rejected him. I, I kind of wonder if ultimately that will be the thing that people are really in hell for. What do you think about that? I think uh, it's true insofar as someone has heard. If they have not heard, they are in Romans 1. They are without excuse because they see that God is uh, real. They have a conscience that is God-given in chapter 2, and they don't want him. They prefer idols. And so the ones who have rejected Jesus, they are even more guilty, but both of them are, are lost. So, yeah. So if we go to chapter 1 of Ephesians and uh, we look at verse 8, um, where does redemption originate and how is it given to us? We kind of talked about this, but that's fine. Let's look at the verse and let's uh, see the nuances and the beauties that we have there. So the question is, where does redemption originate and how is it given to us? It originates from heaven, that's right. But specifically, what is said in the text? Okay, it's all connected with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me read, read verse 8 for us. Which he made to abound toward us, in all wisdom and prudence. And the uh, end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Yeah, it comes from the riches of his grace and the wisdom of his mind, his love for us. Yeah, so it's something we, we cannot possibly deserve. So maybe I'll share that complete story uh, in the family church. But yesterday... Um, we were at uh, Cannon Lake and uh, was able to evangelize a gentleman and, you know, try to, see, try to see where he was coming from and he thought he was a good person. And I explained that you must come empty-handed. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling, like the song says. It's grace. If it's about works, whatever you do, it's no longer grace. So you have to come with nothing. I am completely enslaved destitute and I need redemption and it's only in Christ only by grace only through faith right and it's not just a little bit of grace it's the riches of his grace and not only that he gives it with wisdom and prudence so one way this has been interpreted um, it's that when God gives this salvation he also illumines our mind and so we receive this wisdom that the world cannot receive and we have now this understanding of of what it is that God has done. And we see that as beautiful, right? So that's how 
He just lavishes on us. The word means overflow. You get this picture that it's just a fountain, a fountain open, not just in Jacob, but for all the world. And God gives that to us. And he makes us able to understand and love, love Christ. What does redemption secondarily imply? So we've been redeemed. It means you need to be redeemed. What's the second implication? Brought into something new. Something new, right? So we saw you were transferred from the kingdom of, of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Something else. Purchased? You were purchased. You were purchased, and so what? Huh? And so what? So you're not your own. You're, you're, not, you're not your own, yeah. right? You've been redeemed. You've been purchased. So you, you're not your own. I'm not my own. We always need to be reminded of that. Think about that. Meditate on that. It means I belong to the one who is my redeemer. Right? And so we turn now to Romans chapter 6. And we will see this idea that we were slaves of sin. And now we're slaves of righteousness. We were slaves of the devil. Now we're slaves of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedience, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Let me quote two more verses. You may remember them. 1 Corinthians 3.23. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 3.23. It's actually a memory verse for today. You belong to Christ. Did you hear that? How marvelous this verse is. It's a section of the verse. You belong to Christ. Wow. You belong to Christ. The passage, by the way, says that, you know, you are, you're, you're saying, I'm of Cephas, I'm of this, I'm of that. And he says, all are yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. You see, so if you're in Christ, all those riches, they are yours. But the point is, you belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. And yes. Sorry to interrupt you. No, it's this, good. Man, this is something I think about so much. Because the... Um, the, the, the cultural ideal is autonomy, right? And I even mentioned this in a sermon not too long ago, that the, the, the two Greek words there are autos, which means self, and namos, which means law, right? So the cultural ideal is that you get to be a law to yourself. And this goes all the way back to the garden, right? You don't, God doesn't have to be God. You can be your own God, right? You don't have to belong to him. You can belong right. to yourself, and you can determine your own direction for your life and your own desires and your own sense of what's right and wrong. Um, 
And I mean, the gospel is fundamentally opposed to that, right? Right. We are slaves of Christ. We belong to him. Yeah. Amen. Someone else wants to share on this or ask a question? I was thinking like that's so true and uh, because whenever you watch anything today you hear uh, things like believe in yourself, you can do it. Or uh, people say to the kids, if you believe in yourself, you can do whatever you want. Or uh, last time the new thing I heard was I belong to myself and I'm the captain of my boat or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the opposite of the Right. So yeah, this is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. If we give a slave to your sin or we slave to God, but we are never in command Amen. One more verse before we turn to the second section. It's in first Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen and verse twenty. Do you not know? that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify or honor God with your bodies. Wow. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what a price. Not silver or gold, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the first section. Redemption. Personal redemption, in fact, as we'll see later, it's collective. We, and that's the church, we have been redeemed. We have redemption in Christ. Second theme, verses 9 and 10. Let me read them again. And uh, you again are being put to work. So I want you to try to think hard. What is that all about? 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So what is the theme? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and then uh, we are looking at the last two verses 9 and 10 so he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose of good pleasure that he set forth in Christ and that's the plan for the fullness of time when what when he unites all things in Christ things both in heaven and on the earth so what is that all about Caleb and Louise Sasha, do you know? What is that all about? Look at it. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. I don't know if this is where we're heading, but I, I mean, I see uh, sovereignty as being the major theme because it's uh, the mystery of His will, and it's all according to His will, which He set forth. Right. So it's definitely God sovereignly acting in history. But the point is, in this verse, to do what? To unite. To unite. Wow. Look out, you're doing good today. You pick up all the, the terms. So maybe you have other translations. Someone may not have unite. What do you have in your Bible? Uh, well, I've got two side by side. So the NIV says to bring together. To 
putting together. Okay. Right. Someone else has another translation? Yeah? Okay, so I, I'll bring a few more. Together, together, in one. That's the King James. And the Legacy Standard Bible translates it, the summing up of all things in Christ. So the idea is that everything is brought together, added, united. Okay. So what is this uh, unification? First implying disunity. disunity, right? So we were redeemed. Why? Because we needed to be redeemed. We were slaves. We were not liberated, and we were liberated. And then it says here that there is a grand unification of heaven and earth that's going to happen. What does it imply? That it's disunified right now. So we are full of sin. We need redemption. The world is full of sin. And also needs to be restored to be completely reunited all of it in God I mean this is this is marvelous do you think when it says uh, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him do you think that all is constrained by the phrase that follows heaven and earth yeah because what I mean by that secondarily would be well some people are not united in Christ they spend eternity in hell. Right, right. So is, is Paul merely saying, by all things, he means all of creation reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Is that, do you think that? Yes, of course, without implying universalism, which I think is not his goal here, because he's saying we, we, we. He's talking about the church, and he's talking about what is the future for the church? What is the future for, for the work of God? And so he's not saying that people who are going to go to hell because of their sins or somehow going to be redeemed at the last moment that's not what the bible teaches but it does say that everything on the earth and uh, in heaven are going to be at some point brought back to this uh, wonderful unity that's my view it's just an important lesson in reading the text carefully right because you can encounter this word all i think it literally means everything but the author himself narrows the meaning of all right right so anyway yeah because it can't be it can't be i mean he created a, he's creating a new heaven and a new earth so it can't be everything all before that that ceases right at some point when, when, when a new heaven and new earth is created so is that where the all starts yeah, you guys are already talking about the end of the study, so that's, that's pretty good. That's good. So we are going there. Um, I'm trying to pick up what you were saying. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, by the way, isn't that Romans believe the difference between all and any? I was thinking about that last time because there's a difference between all and any. It's like, you know, when it says, um, oh, I can't remember, there's a passage where the, that, that's the that's written and people always bring it and say, you see, it's uh, he, uh, he died for all. Right, once for all. Once, yeah, or something like that. And uh, and it's like, well, it didn't die for anyone, but he died for who? Uh, for the elect, yeah. And so sometimes people are like, well, it's all, it's all the world, but no, it's not. So it's not kind of 
Well, and then and sometimes, you know, because of the aim of the context of what the person is saying, they are using all, but obviously they are referring to uh, a certain a certain thing. And even if uh, it may it may look all encompassing for the purposes of what they are trying to say, that doesn't mean that they are not exceptions. For example, Christ is the firstborn, the first to re raised from the dead. Well, there are a couple of exceptions, but the point is, he's really the one that inaugurates the resurrection of all who are his. Right. So in this case, it's talking about the reunification of the whole universe to God. But those who are condemned, they will still be condemned. We know that from other passages. So this uh, reunification or restoration of all things is when God makes a new heaven and a new earth where sin and death are destroyed forever. And his elects in Christ are all together as one in Christ. God and his righteousness win through Christ and we also win and reign through Christ our King. So that's just some uh, definition here um, to help you to see what this passage means and where we're going. So we just said that the word was not unified and uh, let's elaborate. Um, can you explain why there is so much disunity in the world? Why there is so much need of uh, everything being brought together into Christ to be summed up in Christ, to be aligned with the uh, God? Adam and Eve, what happened? They sinned. They sinned. And so what? What happened? They were kicked out of the garden. So they were no longer united with God. It says in uh, Genesis 3:23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden, that's uh, Adam, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and then he placed the angels in front of the garden. Disunified, no longer with God, separated, spiritually dead. Was it just man that was disunified with God? All creation. How do we know from Genesis 3, if you remember? God said thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. Right. You remember also in verse 17, it's, it, God says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Wow. Cursed is the earth because of you. So, as a side note, when, when people say, because you drive too many cars, you're destroying the earth, um, God cursed the earth. It's not about the car. God cursed the earth. The reason why the earth has so many issues, disorder that's growing, that's entropy everywhere, decay, disorder, disunity. The reason is because God punished men and he cursed the earth. Cursed is the ground because of you. And then it shows up in everything, the bush, everywhere. Everywhere it shows. So we see creation and man both disunified from the initial wonderful plan of God. So can anybody list out loud some things that are happening on the earth that are bad, but they are naturally so, seemingly? Slavery? Okay, so that will be on the human side. People just somehow also horrible with each other what about the creation things that are happening right now all over the earth that 
I'll give you a hint. They they make the news. Floods, droughts, hurricanes, typhoons. Yes, earthquakes. What about things you can't see? Plagues, that kind of things. That yes, be. the disease. All the things that are happening that just lead to misery all over the earth. All of that is because creation is now no longer in the unity that it was initially made. You know, when, when, when you share the gospel, when I share the gospel, at least I'll tell you that I explain to people, today, the way it is, it was not always like that. God made everything good. There was none of the things we discussed. There was no death. There was no sin. It was perfect. God made them, male and female, in the garden. But he gave them a command, and this is obeyed, and they were cursed. So it once was totally different. And now we have this need of having everything brought back together to God. Yes, that's great. We feel this experientially in our bones. I mean, you can ask anybody, do you think the world is the way that it's supposed to be? And people know it's not. Right. Yeah, good point. And that's why we react, you know, why is there evil? Because we have been cursed because of our sin. And it's not just us. It's all of creation. So we're going to see two verses, two passages on this. Please first turn to Acts 3. Yes. I was just thinking of like, you know, when atheists, when you say that to atheists and uh-huh. then or ecologists people, right. and they say, well, God isn't fair because the creation didn't do anything wrong. So because we're thinking about trees and animals and so he cursed them because of man's sins. What I just thought about is that God actually created men as the crown of uh, of creation right. and the work of men were to look after the creation and uh, if you punish someone uh, I mean like they, they were both connected and if you punish someone you're gonna also punish his kingdom his dominion and his work and you see what I mean so I'm thinking like probably this is why God created God made that that way because Man was the crown, and because he was above all these things, because of his sin, everything is touched by uh, by the fall. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. But I would say uh, first and foremost, because God does whatever He wants, and people were punished, and we cannot say to God, "Why did you punish me like that? Why didn't you obey?" Right? And so God, He's the one who decides how the punishment is exacted, and that's what He did. Um, I, I do hold the position that God cursed creation, but there are some people that will point out, well, God doesn't actually say, I curse creation. He says, because of you, creation is cursed, right? And so maybe another element of this is God essentially saying, man, if you want the world to operate according to your will and not my will, here's what it will look like, right? Um, so... In that sense, yes, the dominion that man wanted to have, he's been given, and the result is terrible, tragic, right? All right, so let's read Romans chapter 8, and uh, we don't have a lot of time left, so let me try to go through the content. I'm sure you can have a lot of questions uh, afterwards, but at least we can wrap up the the whole um, teaching. So Romans 8, the reason I bring this point up is because you are going to see the two themes in our four verses, you're going to see redemption for men. You're going to see the very same parallel for restoration for creation. So let's uh, find out. Romans 8, 18. 
For I consider the suffering of this present time, so that's uh, Paul writing to Christians and he's telling them that they, they are going to suffer, but the Holy Spirit is there to help them. And then right there he makes a, he makes a, um, he makes a comment regarding creation and the parallel with, with us. And you will see it talks about groaning and waiting. Okay, so the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So do you see that? Creation is enslaved to sin because of God who subjected it. Creation is waiting and creation is groaning. But there is hope. See, there is hope for creation. And then it says, And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What we read earlier. So, there is redemption for mankind and there is restoration for creation and all of that is the hope. It's going to happen. It's wonderful. So now, I'll, I'll uh, explain a, a few things that teach for a few minutes. Now imagine, imagine that you are an angel. Made by God, elect before the foundation of the world, and you are holy. Ephesians 1 says that God made a plan before the foundation of the world. He made all that plan when, when you were not even here. And then Genesis 1, God creates the universe by his word. And in Job 38, it says that when God was creating the universe, all the sons of God who are angels, they were seeing what he was making and they were shouting for joy. So you see all that that God is making and you find it absolutely glorious. So there are the heavenly hosannas happening all the time. But a few moments later, Eve didn't even have a child. She was not even pregnant. A few moments later, we don't know how long, probably not that long, Adam and Eve decide to disobey God. And you see that, and you're just utterly astonished. What are they doing? And creation, the marvelous creation that God made, and mankind are cursed. And not only that, but even before that, there were already Satan, the chief angel, and a host of angels who decided they didn't even want to follow God and they just left and they were cast down and you are a holy angel and you're seeing all of this and what is what is happening what is God going to do but God before the foundation of the world he had already chosen all the elects for a plan he had already according to Titus and Timothy made a promise to the Son 
before creation began, which is called the covenant of redemption, when the father says to the son, I'm going to give you a bride. And you're going to go and you're going to die on the cross for them. And the Holy Spirit will come and bless them. And we will save a people. And the son agrees to follow with the plan and to do all that the father wants. And uh, you see also in 1 Peter, it says that the angels, they long to look in the gospel. They are, can you imagine they're wondering what is God going to do about all of this that is ruined by sin? And it says in the Old Testament that the angels, they run to and fro all over the earth to see who is following the Lord. So you see what's going on. Sometimes you're sent to minister and you see all that. How is God going to resolve all of this? And for centuries, there's death that's reigning and there's sin and it's just... It's just puzzling. What is this mystery that God made all of that? And it looks disunified. But the whole time, all of that was all of Christ. The fullness of time, all these things, they were all in Christ and they're all being summed up and he was all working. He was the prophesied Messiah. Because the big theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. God reigns and rules over everything. He rules in the whole universe and he also rules in the hearts of believers. And now he's also commanding the earth to follow his lead, but the earth rebels. But the whole time, the theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God. And God said, I'm gonna send my king and he's gonna rule on the earth and he's gonna do everything I want. He's gonna rule with a rod of iron and he's gonna set everything right. But for the longest time, the longest time, it's not the case. And so as an angel, time passes by and uh, the law is uh, given to Moses through angels and things are happening. And one day, one day, there's a baby born. And all the angels of God, they are singing Hosanna. The Savior has come. And they minister to him when he's in the desert and they help him through his life and through the eternal spirit, the Son of God. He redeems us by His blood, a sinless, sinless life for us. And then He ascends with the angels telling, telling us He's going to come back. And one day He's going to come back and He's going to fulfill the prayer that He taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, made holy, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day when Jesus comes, His will is not done on the earth right now. But one day He's going to make all of heaven, all of earth to do all of His will. And you see, it says in Habakkuk 2.14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. It will not just be when you look at the stars that you see the glory of God. It will be all over the earth all over the earth holy 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 is the lord the angels say for the whole earth is full of his glory and one day it's going to be absolutely amazing absolutely amazing daniel 2:44. and in the days of these king shall the god of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever.
So one day, can you imagine? Look at Isaiah, the writings of Isaiah. All the animals, the babies will play with the serpent. The lion will play with the lamb. The desert will be filled with flowers that do not die a few months later. All the earth will be glorious. And it's going to be soon. That's when, and we didn't read it, but let's go to Acts 3, because that's a key, a key verse. Peter preaching, Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things which God spoke about in the prophets. So while the angels, you see, it says the, the mystery. See that now it's revealed. We know the end of the story. The end is that the angels know that Christ is going to come back and he's going to make the new heavens and the new earth and he's going to make sin be gone forever, death be gone forever. And it's going to be marvelously all united in Jesus Christ. And two more verses. I guess I'll read a quote that I found super helpful from Bounce. And he said this, this is the glorious plan. Remember, it's all about the church here. He's saying, we have been elected in love and we await all of this. And so not everyone is going to be there, only the elects. And we don't know who is elect. We share the gospel and all who are elect will be saved, but we don't know who that is. So we go everywhere. See this note. This is the greatest and most important enterprise on earth. It should engage every heart and enlist the powers of every soul. And it should be the earnest desire of all to swell the numbers of those who shall constitute this united, ever glorious kingdom and to bring as many as possible of the human race into union with the holy inhabitants of the other world. This one unified kingdom. That's what this verse says. To sum up all things, not everything is there yet. But they will be added. And they will all be brought into union with Jesus Christ. And at the end, 1 Corinthians 15 says, 22. Let's start in verse 24 talking about resurrection then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father see because it's all about the kingdom one point the kingdom that is mediated through Christ is going to be all handed back to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for God has put all things in subjection under his feet but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, the Father is accepted, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And then you can read the whole chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, the end of the Bible of Revelation, and see how the whole story ends. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's when all things are united in Jesus, and he gives the kingdom to his Father, and we can enjoy him forever. So that's the plan. What a plan. And he has told us. We know the mystery. It's revealed. So let's go and tell it to everyone we meet. Dear God, we praise you. Oh, this marvelous plan how the angels Lord must have wondered and how they praise you and Lord we will be able to praise you even more deeply than angels because we have received your grace and we give you praise for the redemption we have in Jesus Christ and for the restoration of all things that you have in plan and whom you are you are certainly bringing to pass help us to evangelize Lord to Share the good news so that there would be so many more added to your church. Amen.